She found an old King James Bible in that cheap hotel. She read the story about Jesus and the woman at the well. She found herself inside those pages and wondered how she had got so far gone, so far away from home, and she cried, I'll do anything, I'll pay any price, do whatever it takes to make something of my life. I'll find a way to start all over and wipe the slate completely clean. I'll do anything. From the other side of Calvary, God saw us lost. He looked at you and me. Then he looked at the cross, oh, the price, the sacrifice it would take, who would pay, who would go. Then Jesus stepped down from his throne, and he said, I'll do anything. To make something of their lives I'll find a way to start all over And wipe the slate completely clean I'll do anything I'll take up that cross Lay down my life And go to Calvary hell three days and come back with the keys. I'll do anything. I'll pay any price. Do whatever it takes to make something
many of you could, who could tell me this morning, how many punctuation marks are there in the English language? Anybody know? Raise your one fat hand. Let me see. Anybody know? How many punctuation marks? So don't Google. Don't grab your phone. How many punctuation marks are there in the English language? Does anybody know? Does anybody want to take a guess? Yes, ma'am. Fifty. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. Big time, man. Ten. No, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. But you're getting close because you're like way off. All right, keep going. Any, how many? Raise your hand. Don't be shouting, no, man. Six. No, man. Yes, sir. Four. Four. No. We're getting there. Eight. No. Raise your hand or I'm not. Punctuation marks in English language. Lunch is in 45 minutes. So here we go. Yes, ma'am. 35. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 10. No, ma'am. But close. 1. Now that's what I like right there. That's good. 1. That's all you need. Yes, ma'am. 12. Almost close. Brother Mike. 14. Punctuation marks in the English language. Aren't you impressed? Huh? He just waited till everybody else said it. He figured it's got to be in there somewhere. So when I said close, he figures, okay, it's got to be 10, 12, somewhere. 14 punctuation marks in the English language, okay? In our Bibles, and I'm not here to correct the Bible. Anybody that does that's an idiot. But here's the deal. And, and you see, well, Brother Johnson, that's not very good handwriting. Well, let me explain something to you about handwriting. God wrote on the wall, and nobody could read that. that right? Jesus wrote on the sand. Nobody could read that. That's godly. Any guy that writes neatly needs a hormone check. That's, that's a problem. Little curly keys thumb out there, little things like that. No, no, no. My poor secretary is so cross-eyed, she, when she cries, tears run down her back. I mean, it's that bad. From trying to read my handwriting, it's awful. It's just terrible. And that's the best I can do. I wrote a book on Baptist history, and it, it took 14 people to figure out what it was just to figure out if it was English. They thought it was Greek, Hebrew, and Chinese. But anyway, and so the punctuation, the, the idea, of course, is this. I'm not going to cover all 14 punctuation marks, so don't panic. You're not going to miss lunch. I'm going to bring you a few of them. But I was reading one day, and just Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said. Eight times in that first chapter, God said, and God said. And God said, now, and you'll notice in your King James Bible that the punctuation at the end of and God said is a comma. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But I was looking at that one day, and I thought to myself, huh, if we understand what punctuation marks are, we understand that they help us to understand what is said. So now here, here's this one. Let me give you one this morning. We'll get to it. Can I pray? Oh, terrible. Father, help us all today. A bunch of dumb people in this room, Lord, don't know how many punctuation marks there are in the English language. Probably don't know where Montana is either, but Lord, I pray you bless this morning. Help us to hear, receive just a simple challenge in our lives this morning. Lord, in Christ's name, amen. I bet most people don't know where Montana is. I was getting on, I was getting to get off an airplane. There's this adult lady with a teenage daughter over there, about two or three rows behind me, and the girl said, Mama, is it uh, Mount Rushmore in Pennsylvania? And her mother goes, no, girl, it's in Arkansas. And everybody in the plane just turned around and looked at them. And I, probably a public school teacher. But anyway, I, it's amazing. It's so incredible when you start to think about the dumb that's out there and somebody winds up in the White House. And it says, so let me give you this punctuation mark here. Somebody raise a little fat hand. Tell me, what's that punctuation mark, please? You're supposed to raise your hand. Don't make the teacher send you out in the hallway. The old days, you go to the principal office, you whoop you like a red-headed stepchild. We don't do that anymore. But it's a period. Okay, so here's the punctu- here's the comment on punctuation period. When God says something, is that the end of the sentence? That's what a period is. It ends the sentence. It ends the thought. Is that how you read your Bible? And God said, period. 
that's it. It's over. Whatever God said, that's the end of it. Not adding to it, not taking from it. God said, no, I'm not going to add to that. I'm not going to take away from that. If God said it, it's so. That's all there is to it. Yeah, but see, Pastor John said, no, 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 no. Listen to me. If God said it, that's it. I don't have to have anything added to it. I don't need science to prove anything to me. I don't need man to prove anything to me. I don't need so-called halls of academia to prove anything to me. Though some of you need to go back to school. You don't know how many punctuation marks are in English language. I didn't either until I looked it up. Hey, I went to public school all my life. I, I, all I learned how to do was smoke in the bathroom. And, and, and I went tobacco. And, it said, and God said, period. Boom. That's it. Come on now. When you read your Bible, people look at me. You ever read it and say, yeah, but I wonder what the Greek and the Hebrew says. See, we've messed with people and, and them. I took two years of Greek and a year of Hebrew in Bible college, and I've been successfully delivered from all of it. Do you ever use the language? Well, of course. Do I study out, look up stuff? Absolutely. But never do I ever let anything that I ever read, look up, study out, ever change what God said. Amen. You got that? Those things can help to uh, help to illuminate Scripture, but never alter Scripture. Amen. So, see, we've got that because Dr. Reverend Wigglips gets up in the pulpit and says, well, now, in the original language, this is actually the more correct rendering for this word. He just changed the Bible. We don't change the Bible. We leave the Bible alone. I've read some big example. Let me give you an example. If you look up, the, if you look up that passage where Jesus said, uh, if, if you have, uh, man has singleness of eye, the Bible says, then it, 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 light will enter into his body. Singleness of eye. Well, if you look that up in any commentary, it'll tell you, well, it needs to have an eye that sees properly or that has not covered by dirt or something like that. And it, but you know what singleness of eye means? According to what the Bible says, it means this. You have two eyes that give you depth perception. But if you take one of those eyes away from you, you lose your depth perception, but you see things just one way. Singleness of eyes. See, if you have singleness of eye, the whole light gets into your body. If you got two eye vision, you, you see things differently. You see things the way you actually should see them. I have a nephew. I have a nephew named Clark. He lost his eye as a kid in some kind of accident. Probably one of them shot it out. I don't know what happened to it. But <laughs> and he had a glass eye. But he never learned to train. You can train the glass eye. He would move a little bit, kind of look a little more normal. But he had a glass eye. Clark was crazy. He was crazy. We'd go camping, and he'd be laying there by a campfire at night like this. You want to get creeped out, brother? Let me creep. Let me see how it creeps you out. See the flickering light on a guy laying there with one eyeball just staring at you like that. You wake up, go, Clark, close your eye. You go, okay, fine. And he'd pull it over like that. Singleness of eye means you see things one way. But I get that just from the Bible. I didn't get that from a commentary. And God said, period, that's it. God said it, that's it for me. I don't have to have anybody else come along and tell me what's better than what God said. There's nothing equal to what God said. There's nothing that compares to what God said. There's nothing that's going to come along and correct what God said. Yeah, but what about evolution, Pastor Johnson? Don't you think when you go to the zoo, you throw peanuts to your relatives? No, I don't believe that. No, I'm sorry. They're not going to tell me that thing took 200 trillion years to get there. That somehow or another, all of a sudden, there was nothing, and it turned into people. That's the short version of evolution. But the truth is, they think, well, science has got a lot. You know, let me tell you something, people. There was a time when science said the world was flat. Flat. And they told Columbus that there's flat earthers out there now, and they're really good. There are. I know a guy in my church, his son-in-law is a school teacher, just retired from teaching public school, taught science in public school, and he believes the earth is flat. And I was sitting talking with him one day, and I said, what about all the pictures from space where you see this big round-looking blue thing? He goes, no, actually, it's an oblong, and it's a... And this guy would go on for an hour explaining how the earth actually was flat. They told Columbus it was flat. If he sailed out there, and what did they do? They went down to the seashore and they go, it's flat. You sail out there, you're going to fall off the end of the dragon, it's going to eat you. And that was the science of his day. Fortunately, Columbus had to believe what the Bible said. He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth shall laugh. Yeah, it's round. And he knew that. He thought if he sailed east, he'd wind up west because he thought he was going to the West Indies. But anyway, he did go to the West Indies. 
Indian people, my native, I'm Cherokee, my native people, we found America. And think what white man come along and took it all away from us. But we're taking it back one casino at a time, brother. Let me just tell you that right now. And God said, period. And God said, period. And God said, hey, look, that's good parental rearing, too. I told so-and-so, yeah, that, I'm not, that. we're not going to discuss this. I don't care if they're two-year-old or they're 18-year-old. My kids, when they lived at home, when they got to the age where they're getting ready to leave, every one of them on the 18th birthday, I give them a suitcase for their birthday. Figure this one out. But the truth is, if you, I said, you're going to live under my roof, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Yeah, well, I'm 18 years old. Yeah, fine. And you're paying rent, and that's fine. And I'll give you a little more leeway, but you still don't follow the rules. And that's good parental stuff. Rather than see somebody stand in the grocery store and negotiate with a four-year-old, trying to get them to do what they're told. Well, how do you feel about that? My, my grandkids, my, my oldest granddaughter, now 17, when she was a little girl, she had a little, little brother was sitting there one day, and they were fussing about something. She just went, woke up, and popped in one. Woke up means that's the sound of a kiss, a fist punching somebody in the face. Woke up. And he's going, ah, I said, Don, what happened? You hit me. And I said, Pookie. What you hit your brother for? She goes, I wanted to. Man, I appreciate the honesty, but now you're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? I just love that rather than, well, he took my toy and I didn't feel good about it. We could go inside. I just wanted to. Boom, popped him one. It's amazing. When God says something, how come we don't just leave it like that? Amen. Just leave it like that. God said, that's it. God made the world seven days. Is that right? God made the world seven days. No, he didn't make six. He rested on the seventh. God said that. See, God told us that. Right? How many of you believe Jonah swallowed the whale? Come on, believe that. No, you don't. Jo- the whale swallowed Jonah. Get it right now. But God said, God said, if God said it, that's it. So you teach your kids that too. I don't care whether they're here. They're going to hear all kinds of things in their life. Yeah, but see, there's a question in the Bible about the graph wellhausen theory about Isaiah. And then there's the question about this kind of stuff and everything else. No, uh, God said, that's it, period. God said, that's it, period. Okay, that's one. And we're not going to do all 14, so don't panic about lunch. Here's the one that's in Genesis 1, 3 and 3 times. What's that mark right there? Comma. What does that indicate in a sentence? Pause. Pause. That's funny. <laughs> They're changing punctuation usage now. You know, it used to be you had a certain place and point to put a comma. Now you can just put them anywhere you want to. I like that because if I'm writing something, I go, that's, that's too far, comma. You ever read some of the stuff, Paul? Paul in Corinthians, he'll do like a whole chapter with no punctuation in it. I said, dude, find a mark and put something in there. Comma. Pause. Okay, question. So on this punctuation comma, here we go. And God said, yeah, but maybe that's not for this particular dispensation. I love these theologians. I love them. I'm not so sure, you know. And the truth is, if you ask them what dispensation was, they think it's something puts out toilet paper in the bath. That's a dispenser. Some of you didn't know that one either. Okay, good, but here's the point. Pause. When God tells you to do something, do you pause? Do you pause? Well, I'm contemplating the reality of the statement that God made. Seriously? Thou shalt not steal. Is there a pause there necessary? Is there a pause needed? We need a pause. When God tells us to do something, are we supposed to pause? You know how you always tell when your kids are lying to you when you ask them something. Did you do so-and-so? No, gotcha. You, you paused. The pause, no, 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 it's not going to work. And you tell them to do something. You go, son, go pick, pick that up over there and take that away. Hey, excuse me, excuse me. I've watched parents stand there and have to tell the kid five times to do the very same thing. My house, you did it the first time, or somebody's on you like ugly on Oprah. I mean, they were on you. They're going to get you. Pause. And there's no reason to pause. Why do we want to pause? You know what, people, I don't think we value the most precious commodity we have on this planet, and that's this, time. Time. While we wait, well, you know what? While we wait, Satan does it. While we wait, time does it. While we wait, God's program does it. While we wait, hell's still filling up with people. Hell has enlarged itself like a gaping monster, catching souls that fall into it. While we wait to make up our mind about what we're going to do that God told us to do, we're pausing when we shouldn't be pausing. 
There's no pause when God says so. There's no pause when God asks us to do something. There's no pause when God tells us not to do something. There's no pause in that. We don't need to be pausing about anything. Okay, another one here. So you thought I was going to preach the Bible, but forgive me. Oh, yeah, here's my, here's one of my favorites. What's that, class? Question mark. Thank you, brother. He raised his hand. Good. <laughs> he can be taught. Question mark. And God said, how did it all start here? This river of sorrow and sin and sadness in mankind. Do you realize God created us in a body like this to live forever? The way God made it, it was gonna live, they were going to live forever in a, in a body with flesh and bones just like this. How did it all start? How did two people, hey, two people in a perfect place. By the way, two perfect people in a perfect place who had no carnal nature. Adam and Eve had no nature like we do. We're born with a nature of sin. That's why you have to teach your kids to do right. They'll pick up wrong all on their own. But the truth is, what those Adam and Eve were perfect in a perfect place. Hey, they had one thing they couldn't do. Can you imagine that? One thing. There were no speed limit signs. There was none of that junk going on like we have in society today. It's so funny today. It's not funny. It's sad. People think every time something happens, we need more laws. We got too many cotton picking laws. We got too many laws for everything nowadays. It's ridiculous. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's the deal. So we got two perfect people in a perfect place who are perfect people who are going to live eternally forever in a place God made for them. And they can have anything they wanted except one thing, just one thing. That's all. Just one thing they could not have. And what happens? How did they get from that to disobeying God? It all started with a question. Have God said? Satan never attacks, uh, rarely ever attacks on a frontal attack. He's always coming at the back door and saying, yeah, but, yeah. See, if they wouldn't have dialogued with the devil, we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. There'd be a Krispy Kreme everywhere and a Chick-fil-A open on Sunday. Can you imagine that? Think about it. All because two perfect people let somebody question what God said. And by the way, they didn't need Greek and Hebrew to figure out what God said. God said, you eat that tree, you're going to die. I don't, think I, I don't think I need interpretation on that. I don't think I need to look up Matthew Henry to figure out what that guy with the Lord just said. I got it. You eat that tree, you're going to die. And he said, yeah, but he just told Adam. He didn't tell Eve. Adam told her. She knew what it was. The devil comes along and says, yeah, but what did God say? He questions it. Then what does he do? Then he changes it slightly. You shall not eat up every tree. That's always a, a Satan thing when people say, you go to that church over there, you won't be able to do nothing. Devil, you won't be breathing after a while. You can't do nothing in that kind of fundamental Baptist church. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. That exaggeration. Well, before you know it, they're going to have the women wear Baptist burkas. And then, then, then what are we going to be doing? How is this going to go? You're not going to be able to do anything. You can't go anywhere. Hey, that's the stinking devil. Yes. He's an exaggerator. Great exaggerator. Then he has the frontal attack, but it always starts with a question. Okay? Look at me. Say, well, I have to have a brain. <laughs> yeah, and it's rolling around in there like a BB in a box car. I understand that. In fact, if you lay on your pillow too long, you'll probably leak out. Woo, roll off the pillow, go underneath the bed, you won't find it. But that's all right. Then you can go be a congressman. The truth of the matter is, we got these people who think somehow or another we're going to question God. No! We're not going to do that. Not going to put a question mark where God said. That's it. Yeah, but don't you, do you understand everything in the Bible? No. I do not understand the parable of the unjust steward. We got Dr. Mann here. We got Dr. Bell here. We got Dr. Cox here. We got Dr. Rich. We got a doctor, Brother Richardson. Let's give him a doctor this week. Tonight, let's lay, lay one on this brother right here. Anybody pastors in Kentucky should have a doctor. I just believe that. We got Dr. Brother so-and-so. We got all these reverends in this room. Somebody could, should be able to explain to me about that guy, the unjust steward, who, who owed all that money to the master. And when he was told he had to pay the debt, he, he, he went out and got all those people sitting there. Get him. We got old 80, give me 60. You got old 40, give me 20. And, he, and, then, and what he was commended. And then Jesus said, because that's what you do when you you fail so the heathen will read, read, take care of you. That's how I read it. That can't be right because that's wrong. So what does it mean? I don't know. I understand how black and white cow can eat green grass and make white milk turns into yellow butter. I don't understand. 
I don't understand when you go to ATM and drive up to ATM, there's braille dots on that thing. Are you with me? What's a blind dude doing driving a car? That's what I want to know. What's that? How come they're interstates in Hawaii? Where are you driving to from Hawaii? You're not going anywhere from Hawaii. Why are you walking a bank and they got the little pins that never work chained to the desk and the cotton picking safe is sitting open with millions of dollars in it? That doesn't make any sense to me. The airplane, that cr- airplane crashes, got the black box that survives everything. Make the whole plane out of that stuff so we'll all live through this thing. I don't get that. Yeah. So you got the whole Bible figured out, Pastor? No, I don't. No, I don't. There's things I read in there and it just. you're a Buckeye fan. I don't get that. I mean, you lose. <laughs> yeah, you play your schedule with a bunch of cheerleaders. But anyway, here's the deal. Uh, you, loot, you, 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 you give to get. Okay, now that works in any economic course you ever take. You give to get, right? They'll tell you that's how you accumulate. You die to live. Tell me all that stuff in the Bible. That makes sense to you. Your natural mind says, oh, yeah, I give to get. I lose to win. I die to live. You say, well, I don't understand that. Good. Good. But I don't question it. Because that's what God said. There ain't no question mark on that stuff. You understand that? When, when God says, you know, he created marriage, man and woman, that kind of stuff. By the way, nowadays it's a man who stays a man, and it's a woman who stays a woman because you got to deal with all that kind of stuff. You should be really careful. Now you preach, I preach, I was telling the guys, I preached a lot of youth meetings. Used to be you could just preach on rock music. I mean, that was really simple. Whereas I'm so old now, I'm telling them, don't listen to Jimmy Hendrix. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. No, you shouldn't either. But the truth is, now, nowadays you got, I was at a camp here a while back preaching, and a guy got up and did a whole session on, gen, on your gender to help them to understand that you were. God made you a man, a boy in the womb, and a woman, a girl in the womb, and that's not supposed to change. I thought, you're going to go a whole session on this? You say, well, why do we do that? You realize what I mean? Those kids, most, not 80% of those kids are public school kids. They've been messed with. But what, what are we questioning things here for? But you see, it didn't start with that. It started back yonder over there where they're telling women to dress like men and men to dress like women. Hello? Hello? Okay, we'll leave that one. So, so question mark. Don't, don't question what God says. Say, but if you don't understand it, what do you do, Pastor Johnson? You know what? Last time I checked, this brother hit it this morning. Last time I checked it, if you're a child of God, you have the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And it's the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, that reveals the deep things of God. I had a preacher come one day, and he said, uh, I'd like to see your library. I said, well, it's downtown, so he goes downtown right now. He goes, your personal library. I said, well... First of all, we started the church, so we have, I've always had an office in my garage. Now I have a nice office at the church, it looks really religious, you know, and you go in there and all that kind of stuff. But I can't study in there because that's not where I work. I've always been used to, I still to this day, I have an office in my garage. A little corner, walled it off, got bookcases in there, and it looks like it's been hit by a terrorist. Because not only is a guy with neat handwriting in Mormon chest, but a guy with a personal study that's deep, you got a problem with that. I got stuff piled up everywhere in there. I mean, just it. Brother Tree would not. I showed him a picture one time. He about passed out. I mean, he couldn't believe what it looked like. I said, "That's a working man's office right there." So he wanted to see my personal library. Well, I got sets of commentaries. I got one from my dad. He's an old Southern Baptist preacher from years ago. I got a set from him. I got commentaries. I got all these. Books. I love books. I got all kinds of books and stuff. And he goes in. He's looking at all of them. He picks up this commentary, and he goes, he blows the dust off of it. He goes, don't you ever use these? And I go, uh, nope. He said, what do you use? I go, one of them. Concordance, and then we look up words because we can't remember stuff. Now, I have a photographic memory, just no film or camera. That's the problem. And, and, and I said, how about one of these? And Holy Spirit, God, help me understand now what I'm reading. And they compare scripture to scripture. What's wrong with that? Yeah. So, well, Pastor John. 
here sometimes. I taught the book of Proverbs in my Sunday school class. I teach the Sunday school class. We went through nine years in the book of Proverbs. And every verse changes radically. And now the 38 years I've taught my adult Sunday school class, we've had four series, maybe maybe five series in one class. Just going through the scriptures. I'm not big on verse by verse and everything, but, but the subjects and different things like that. What's wrong with what you've done? What's wrong with that? Because we know. Now, raise your hand, class, and you can tell me what punctuation mark that is called. What is that called? Ellipsis. Bingo. Quoted on Catherine's expression. Thank you. Ellipsis. Now, when that's, when that's used in a sentence, it's, and God said, but then there was, the, it's, a, it's, it's leaving something out. Ellipsis is because you leave something out. Genesis to the Revelation. You got a whole Bible. I like that map thing too. I like raw cowhide. I like that too. You got a whole Bible, or is there something left out in yours? You know that king that didn't like what he saw in the, in the Bible, what he wrote, saw the Bible, so he took his pen knife and cut it out. Years ago, I don't know if you were there or not, years ago, you remember Brother House preached that message? He got up and he said, How big is your Bible? And he had a Bible there and he started preaching on it. He said, Yeah, some of you don't believe that. He started ripping pages out of the Bible wadding it up and throwing it. Everyone's just going, I was stunned. When he was done, it looked like a snowstorm. I mean, there was just paper all over the place. Remember that? And they had to stop and tell people, it's not a Bible. This is like a Catholic Bible or something like that. So, he, so he had Ray Bordway come up and said, Brother, say, Brother Bo, come up here. Look at it. Tell him what it says right there. He says, Holy King James Bible. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> and it wasn't. He said, oh, we're desecrating Bible in the jail, some of them will take a roll of them, you know, a roll of them and smoke them and cigarettes. So, that would be terrible. I mean, if that's your question, how big is your Bible? Because you got all the parts. Everything is supposed to be in there. Or is there something left out? I'm not asking you how thick is your Bible. And years ago, it was popular that they had those every other page blank Bible. You know, they're about that thick, like that. It looked like a New Testament for Some Christians think it God, anything God tells any Christian to do, they don't have to do. I, I wasn't aware that the holy living was, was just for certain Christians. I wasn't aware prayer was for certain Christians. I wasn't aware soul winning was for certain Christians. I was, I, it's amazing to me. How you go, and they go, to, they go to good soul winning separated churches, but their separation stops on the back door out there when they get in their car and they drive home. Well, you're leaving something out now. That should be with you wherever you go, however you live, whatever you do. We're soul winners wherever we are. We say, well, we have soul winning in our church. Well, you should. But wait a minute. The goal of the gospel is as you are going. That means everywhere that you go, you're supposed to be a part of the business of getting the gospel to people. How big is your Bible? You, you got ellipsis in your scriptures where you're leaving something out because you don't feel like that's particularly for you. I should have to do that. You see that? have a lady in our church called Grandma Cooper. She, she was pretty old. In fact, she's so wrinkled, you'd screw her hat on her head. I mean, she was pretty old. But that lady, she was in her 80s. No, we're talking ready, California. Hot. And she was soul winning every Saturday. She wouldn't miss for nothing. <laughs> One day, her soul winning partner comes in and said, Preacher, Grandma Cooper's passing out from soul winning. It's not like we go all day long. So in every 
held by him protected. Well, I think so. He said, well, let me tell you something. You can't do that to me. I said, well, Colonel Cooper, you're starting to pass out. Well, I'll, I'll drink more water, but you can't take that away from me. Then I got people get toenail fungus, and they got to go get counseling and shock treatments. It's unbelievable to me. Crazy. So then she goes, she goes, all right. I said, well, Colonel Cooper, I'm just, I'm, I don't want you to get a heat stroke or something happen to you. I won't drive down the road and see little spindly legs sticking out of somebody's geraniums now. Grandma, come on, just, just stay with us on this thing. Okay, fine, but can I ride a bus on Sunday? I was, at that time, we didn't have air conditioning buses. I said, Grandma Cooper, those are six-wheel microwave ovens. By the time they pull out at 1230, it's 114, and those kids will just stuff you under the seat. Anyway, no, you can't do that to me either. I've been working with children for 52 years. She was ticked off. Because she said, you can't do that to me. Where, what are we leaving out here? What's happening? We got we got ellipsis where God never meant for us to ellipsis. Yeah, you, you, you've got an ellipsis. Okay, here's another one. How about, how about this one? What are those? Sir, quotation marks. You're quoting someone what they said. Question. Quoting the Bible. Number one, can you quote the scriptures? Like that lady with the Arkansas thing. It's amazing to me. Can you quote scripture? Number one, I don't mean can you, what verses do you know by memory? I mean, do, when someone asks you a question, do you give them your opinion or do you quote the scriptures? Not a cork them. Sitting on an airplane one day, looking at my Bible, and this guy leans over and he goes, Sir, you're uh, religious. I said, Well, unfortunately, yeah, but more importantly, I'm a Christian and, uh, and I am a pastor too. He goes, your question. This, uh, this uh, life after death thing, what do you think? So the Bible says absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's two men who lived and died on the same day. They died. One of them wound up in hell, the other one wound up in heaven. Jesus told us about him, the rich man. He goes, okay, well, never mind. He goes, not God. You really believe there's a God? I said, well, it's pretty simple. Verse 1. In the beginning, God. I said, that kind of sounds. He goes, can't you think for yourself? I ask you a question, you give me scripture. I don't understand it. He goes, I'm asking your opinion. I said, my opinion? I said, sir, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got them. They all got holes in them. No. You, you, he goes, so you're going to just tell me whatever you think is because of what the Bible says. I said, yes, sir, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be. By the way, and you know what? It does eliminate. By the way, first of all, if you want to empty seat in the airplane next to you, put your Bible out. Boom, they're gone. They leave you like roaches leaving the sunlight, brother. They're gone. Ah, they don't want to sit next to you. They'll go back and sit on each other's laps before they'll sit next to a guy with a Bible. It works. It's fantastic. But the truth is, so question. So you get in debates with people. Like these people get on social media sites and they all want to hear what, what somebody likes about this or what's your opinion about that. You get 42 opinions from 42 idiots to try and tell you. But the truth of the matter is, so much of just saying what the Bible says, boom, period. That's all. I, what, what is the deal with quote? Can you. Can you, you know, what is it in the scripture again about, what was the other one? Oh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Maybe that's a sword. You ever notice that? That's a sword. It, it, it's two inches, it cuts clean. People don't really sit on a sharp sword. They get on one side or they get on the other side. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to make heroes out of people. Nothing people are going to love you say, oh, thank you for giving me the Bible on that. That's, that's not going to happen like that. But I'll tell you what, they'll know what you believe. But more importantly, they'll know what God says. Now, that's Bible. Quote. But there's another thing about quote scripture. And that is, do you just quote what people tell you? It's not really yours. You're just quoting stuff. Hey, hey, look at me. Your parents, you got to watch out for your kids who are raised in church. They know what to say. They know how to say it. And they quote what you told them. Ah, but is it here? Uh, are we just quoting scripture? We got the church words. We got the church language. We got the church what we say in church thing. But outside of that, that's not really what we believe. That's not really where we stand. That's not really where we are. Like that, that, that time in the church service, everyone's singing and having a good old time. All of a sudden, the devil just drops right down in the middle of the crowd. Boom! People scatter like rats. Except this one lady who said, I've been here all along, but the truth is I've been on your side for years. That's what you're doing there. You know the 
truth is, that's the way a lot of people are. When they get right down to it, they quote scripture. But when it comes to taking a stand for what the Bible says, boy, then they back up, they back off, and they turn around and walk away so fast, it's not even funny. Because it's not theirs. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It was a heart issue with Daniel. He had it in his heart. He knew he was going to be taken away, but see, he'd already decided in his heart he was not going to go in on this thing. He was not going to give up on that because it was in his heart, not just his head, but in his heart. It was his. It belonged to him. Does it belong to you? David stood there when he, when he stands before Saul, and you know he's going to go fight Goliath, and Saul says, well, kid, you're going to need more armor because he's going to kill you anyway. And Saul puts his armor on David, puts his helmet on David, puts his breastplate on David, puts his sword on David. That little boy, 17, 18-year-old guy standing there, Saul, head and shoulders tall and everybody else. Saul's helmet comes down to his nose, sword dragging the ground, breastplate supposed to cover here, goes all the way down to his knees, and he's shifting it. And the Bible said he has saved to go. And finally took him off. He said, I can't go with those. I haven't proved yeah, it looks like we're going up against the devil with a pocket full of rocks and a shepherd's staff and a sling. But I got news for you, pal. That worked for David because he knew how to work it because it was his. He killed a lion and a bear with that thing. Is it yours? Is it yours? Are you quoting something that's really not yours? Listen, the longer we go in this world and the more bad this world goes and the more wrong it gets, we're going to have more people going to have to stand up, stand up for Jesus and not just quote what they believe. They're going to have to stand on what we believe. I fear, I fear that my grandchildren are going to pay with their lives what I leave for them in America when my time's done. I fear for those little babies. I got folks who say, well, preacher, you go a lot and you preach a lot and that kind of stuff. You know, you say, well, why do you do all that kind of stuff? I'll tell you why. I want to try and do something for my country. I want to do it from my church. I want to do it from my home first. I want to do it from the church that I pastor. And if I can help churches do what they need to do, then I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do it to the point of fall and fla- failure and falling down on my face. But I'll tell you something. We've got to do something about this country because I guarantee you we are, we are raising the next generation of martyrs if we don't wake up and get smart. Those people out there, they're not just against us. They're hostile to this thing. So you better know what you believe and why, and you better be sure, and you better be ready to take your stand for Jesus Christ. One more, and we'll go to lunch. Say, we're not going there. Yeah, I know, because you ain't that important. Here it is. Watch me. What's that one? Exclamation point. You know what that expresses? Passion. Excitement. So you go over here to the shoe. Right? The shoot. Football day. They're out there in the parking lot getting drunk like a bunch of idiots. Barbecuing granola because it's Yankee land. And then the game is on. And the band strikes up. And the fans are cheering. And they're out there and it's snowing. Blowing snow sideways. And there's idiots in the stands stripped to the waist with a big old hoop painted on their little hairy chests. And they're <laughs> cheering for that football team. NBA player down the floor, jumps in the air, wheelhouse, whoa, 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 behind the back, kaboom. Everybody goes, yeah. You know why those NBA travelers travel over America? Go visit all the kids in all the cities they got. You know, it's amazing to me, incredible. And, and we go, well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that because they're fans, which is short for fanatic. Then we go to church and we mumble like Methodists and pray like Presbyterians. Honestly, I've been to some churches who preach and they run the aisles, get up on the Lord's Supper table and throw their tie at you. College at Golden State, and I took him to a camp meeting in Alabama. I said, Okay, now, fellas, let me tell you something. I said, This could get loose. And, and I don't mean they'll undo their tie. I mean, this could get loose. So I was here last night at this meeting, and it got loose. It's, <laughs> I forgot where the preacher was. I think he's outside parking lot. And he has like three busloads of Navajo Indians come from the reservation to come in. Now, you want to get some going, you get a bunch of Indians fired up. Scout big white boys. I mean, they're, they'll get on it. So you got Navajos ready to run. You got a bunch of people in the South ready to run. 
and I'm sitting in the middle of the row, and they were running their house and throwing their pie up and getting up on the on the Lord's supper table and shaking their Bible at the priest. That was the people singing. I thought God help us when He gets up to preach. Right, by the way, most of us can't meet. The best way to calm it down is to preach on soul winning. Then they'll sit down. They won't say anything. <laughs> is that right, preacher? You kill that meeting in five seconds. Preach on heaven and Jesus and going through the storms alive. And ah! I preach on soul winning. Kill it in the heartbeat. So the next night, I take these boys in there for the tour group. And I say, okay, now, fellas, listen to me. Sit in the middle of the road. And <laughs> don't panic. Because when it busts loose, I say, you get out near the end. Some remember my big wave are going to go down the aisle, and the vortex is going to suck you right out of the aisle. It's just, you want to you sit in the middle and watch out for them because here it comes. <laughs> you know, my people invented airbags in cars. We never got to credit. My Apache was was a big woman, heavy. She was as tall laying down as she was standing up. And in the day when you used to be able to ride in the front seat of a car as a kid, they didn't strap you in like a NASCAR driver. We sit on the armrest, right? And he pissed would be driving down the road. And then she'd go to hit the brakes real quick like that. She'd put her arm out. Well, she had all her stuff hanging down there. She hit the brakes and you go. Some Japanese dude walked by and said, airbags. So, see, we never got credit for that. That's, that's terrible. So these boys, I'm sorry. Well, that girl can fry chicken. She's a Texan. They fried chicken, white gravy. churches you go, if someone, you know, like some colleges, you say amen to give you a card until you can't give it anymore. But, but the truth is that some places, I keep thinking, okay, I, my church is a fairly quiet church. If you were to go there, you would hear a whole bunch of hollering, carrying on, and amen. I'm, I'm used to that. But irrespective of how we conduct ourselves in the church service, where is the passion? The passion of God's people about what we believe in what they're doing to our country. Where's the passion of that answer? They tell us we're angry preachers, passionate preachers. We are passionate about what we see. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being angry because the Bible says being angry and sin not. I'm not sinning when I preach on something that's passionate. Where's the passion of God's people? Why do we get passionate when they attack the book? Why do we get passionate when they attack Jesus? Why do we get passionate when they attack marriage? Why do we get passionate about things? Why do we get passionate about the fact that we can kill a baby in the womb? You can nowadays, you can take that child out of the womb and pull him out and suck his brains out like a bunch of Nazis. Why do we get passionate about something? Where, where is our excitement about things? You know, we go, I know we go to church. Look, I, I've been pastoring the same people 39 years. They're not all the same people. I got one lady left after 39 years. See, I wonder why that is. Have you been listening? I do announcements that make people mad. Seriously. And I don't mean to, but I've been around Brother Bell too long. The truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, but where's the excitement about God's people? You can't be in the car and they go, do we have to go to church? And you look at them and say, nope, we get to go to church this morning. Because this is a good thing. We got church. We got church this morning. And get excited about that kind of stuff. So we don't have to be exuberant, get up, run around, fall down like that 92 uh, wild bull. What was that thing? What were you drinking this morning, preacher? Red Bulls. Yeah. Some of you, if you didn't have Red Bull, you couldn't function. Nine coffees, four Red Bulls. And you barely get to church. Good night. If somebody had a Tesla, they could plug it in on you. You'd charge their batteries for it. I was preaching this youth conference last week, and this guy gave me, it's not even a key, it's just a little fog-looking thing, to his $120,000 Tesla. And let me drive it to Southern California on the track. He's either a man of great faith or he's the biggest fool I ever knew in my life. I'm telling you what. This thing's got me. It took me 10 minutes to get out of the parking lot. See what? I couldn't make it go. There's no shifter. There's no nothing. I said, okay. I told my wife, I said, you're supposed to talk to him. <laughs> hey, hey, go. Drive. Hell drive. Is this Spanish? Come on, man. What do we got? Go. Finally, I had to call a guy with a supporter. How do you make this thing go? He goes, oh, it's 
it's on the screen, you slide it down, and then you put your foot on the brake, and then it'll tell you where you're going to go. It'll tell you, it, you pull up something, it'll tell you how many inches you got to the curb. I said, oh, like this kid spent 150 bucks on one of those watches, those watches you talk to and all that kind of stuff. I said, really? He said, yeah. So I said, well, what's, what's your deal? Tell him my heart rate. See, this is a $50 Seiko stainless steel head. It's from 12, 15 years. Still works great. Look at that. Look at the heart rate. Tells me how many calories I burned today. I said, where's the button that shows me your IQ? Because you spent 150 bucks on a watch. Yeah, I'm going to get one. Get one. So the, the point is, it seems to me like, Punctuation by his, please. 